What a wonderful day of worship it has been for us already to be able to gather together to blend our hearts and our voices in prayer and in song as we have gathered around the table of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. And we have remembered once again the eternal love and mercy and grace and forgiveness that our God has shown to us and offers to us through His Son, Jesus the Christ. For everyone who has participated in our assembly this morning, thank you. And especially to John, and in the nine o'clock hour to Stephen, to uh, sing some songs of praise, uh, to get our minds flowing. Sometimes it is hard for us uh, to uh, sing upbeat songs when it's kind of gloomy outside. Uh, But I hope that we have all joined our minds and our hearts and our voices together that we this morning have with one voice glorified our God and our Father. We have, as been mentioned this morning, several visitors with us today, and we certainly are glad that you are here. We count you as our guests this morning. Uh, among those that are visiting with us is my mom and my older brother uh, spending a couple of days with us. And so, as for many of you, at uh, this time of year, we like to have family that we can spend time with, and that certainly is a, a blessing that God has given to us so graciously. If someone were to ask you the question, what is the hardest part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? What's the hardest thing about being a follower of Christ? What answer would you give? You might say in answer to that question, well, being in the world but not of the world. And that, of course, is very biblical language. Jesus himself in the Uh, Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 16, and even into chapter 17, really used that kind of language in preparing what was then the 11 apostles for the time that he was about to go to the cross and be raised from the dead and then ascend back to his Father in heaven. That he has called us out of the world, that we live in this world of sin. We live amongst people that are so opposed to Christ and the will of Christ, and are trying to pull us away from Him rather than to encourage us and help us along the way that being in the world but not of the world is the most difficult thing about being a disciple. And connected to that, living with that kind of mentality or that kind of perspective every day, we might say in answer to that question, what is the hardest part of being a disciple of Christ? That preparing for eternity... When everyone else around us is preparing for, you fill in the blank. (laughs) Maybe it's preparing for a career. Maybe it is preparing for a promotion. Maybe it is preparing to build bigger barns, if you will. Maybe it is preparing for retirement. But things that have ties to this world. While doing those things, while living in the world and not being of the world, while preparing for something that is far lasting, and as as Brent spoke to us in the nine o'clock hour this morning, preparing for that eternal weight of glory certainly is challenging, and it can be very difficult, especially in the environment in which we live today. I would say to you that the hardest thing about discipleship is doing these things and doing many more. But doing all of these things every day of our life, yes, every moment that we draw breath. 
Had Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, called us to be His disciples every Sunday, as this is a Sunday this morning, I think most of us could easily handle that, couldn't we? Had Christ called us to be His disciples every time that we're around other disciples, I think probably there wouldn't be any of us who are Christians who would have a hard time doing that. We could do that because we would be in that kind of environment that is nurturing and fostering our relationship with Christ. But the fact of the matter is, as we read the New Testament, we find that Christ has not. He has not called us just to be followers of His on Sunday. He has not called us just to follow Him when other people are following Him. No, He has called us to be like Him, to grow up in Him for the rest of our lives. And that, as we all know, if we're involved in that process, is very, very demanding. This morning, I want us to think for just a few moments about daily discipleships. And as we think about daily discipleships, to think about just three of its demands, what I want us to do in thinking about daily discipleship for a little while this morning is to just consider three passages from the New Testament that are applicable to daily discipleship and some demands that Christ is giving us or making of us if we're truly going to be a disciple of His. Number one, as we think about the demands of daily discipleship, I would suggest to you that daily discipleship demands that you and I fully follow Jesus. To see this particular point, I want us to turn our Bibles, if you have your Bible with you this morning, to the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, let's begin reading here at verse 18. Luke 9 beginning at verse 18. Luke says to us there, And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits or loses himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus began this question as we began the reading this morning from verse 18 by asking, as he begins this conversation, rather by asking his disciples about his identity. He first of all asked them, who are the crowds saying that I am? As maybe the disciples were traveling from place to place with Christ or going other places as they were interacting with the multitudes that often gathered to listen to Jesus, to hear what he had to say. Who are they saying? What is the popular opinion of the day? You know, Jesus couldn't say, do a poll on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or something like that. 
Who are the people saying that I am? Who do they think that I am? And then he makes that question, asks the same question really, but ask it of this group of disciples. But who are you saying that I am? And this was often the case as we read here at verse um, uh, 20. Uh, Peter spoke up for the whole group. And Peter just confidently and boldly answered that question for the 12. And he says, well, you are the Christ of God. We, we remember maybe the parallel passage that is found for us in Matthew chapter 16 and Jesus asking, having this same conversation with his disciples and them giving some answers that people, the Jews, commonly thought that Jesus was and then Peter making this statement and Christ going on to make some more statements about that. But here Luke just records for us that Peter made this statement that we believe, we have come to the conclusion that you are the Christ of God. And while Jesus ordered these disciples not to tell this truth to anyone, and I believe he did that because the proof really had not been given yet. He had not yet suffered. He had not yet bled. He had not yet died on the cross. He had not certainly risen from the cross yet. But Jesus wanted the 12 to know that if they truly believe that he is the Messiah, if they truly believe that he is the Christ of God, here is what it would demand of them. It's one thing for Peter to say you are the Christ of God, or as Matthew records it, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was kind of easy for those words to roll off Peter's lips. It's easy for those words to come from our mouths today. But Jesus says, okay, if you truly do know and believe and are convicted that I am the Christ of God, here is what it will mean for you in practical terms in your life every day. Here is what I am demanding of you. And that is what we are speaking of this morning daily discipleship. In this text here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, I believe, defined daily discipleship for them. And he is defining daily discipleship for us as well. And he said that that begins with a strong, sincere desire to come to Jesus. Notice that Jesus gives or begins to uh, explain or expound upon Peter's statement When we come to verse 23, Jesus said to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me. To be a disciple of Christ, we understand, is a choice that we each have to make individually, isn't it? It is something that we are voluntarily choosing to follow Jesus Christ. It is not the case that Jesus was was holding a weapon up to his disciples' heads and saying, you are going to follow me. Jesus has never made that mandatory, if you will. Now, it's mandatory if we want to be pleasing to God. But it is our choice. It's my choice, and it is your choice. And so, first of all, we need to recognize that being a disciple of Christ begins with that strong, sincere desire to come to Jesus. But once we have made that decision, then the demands that He makes of us as being a follower of His become oh so daily. The demands that Jesus speaks about here in this text are threefold. Number one, he said that we must deny ourselves. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. What does that mean? I believe it means more than just denying ourselves things. That is included, I believe, in the process, but it's more than just saying, well, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ and I'm going to deny myself to do this particular thing that the world is doing, or I'm going to deny myself to pursue this particular thing that the world is pursuing, but it is denying self. 
It is denying myself, myself. I don't know how better to explain that. And I don't know all the implications and the ins and the outs of that for you. Uh, Sometimes I struggle with that even for myself. But just to deny myself my goals in life, my dreams, my aspirations, to deny myself my desires and to put in their, their place the desires of Christ, the desires of God the Father, and to do His will, to accomplish His will in my life. Secondly, Jesus says to us here in Luke 9 and verse 23 that it will demand of us, if we're going to be a disciple of His, that we not only deny ourselves, but in connection with that, we take up our cross, each one of us taking our cross. We, maybe you have used that language or heard someone use that language, even someone who is a, claims to be a follower of Jesus, and saying, well, you know, I've just got this cross to bear in my life. And we speak of a, an illness that we are dealing with. Maybe it is a, an ongoing illness or a terminal illness for which there is no cure. Or we speak of uh, some mental or emotional uh, stress or distress in our life and some situation that is weighing us down, some burden that is heavy that we are carrying. And we speak of that as we're just carrying our cross. But I do not believe that is what Christ is speaking of here. Remember what he had just said to them back in verse 22 about himself in preparing the disciples for the things that were to come. He says, the Son of Man, that's himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. That that is the cross that Jesus was taking up. As Jesus was carrying, literally physically carrying his own cross with the help of Simon of Cyrene to Calvary, that the, the, the cross in this, this time, in Roman times, was an instrument, a symbol of death. And so it, again, it is very much connected to what Jesus had just said here about denying ourselves. And in denying ourselves, we are taking up our cross. This is the idea of us as disciples of Christ that we are sacrificing, we are suffering. Yes, we are dying to ourselves just like Jesus himself did. And the third demand connected to that, Jesus goes on to say here in this verse, not only must we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, this is a daily thing, not just taking up our cross on Sunday, not just when we're assembled together with God's people, not when we just have Christians into our home or we get together and participate in some activity during the week, daily, but he says, and follow me. We must follow Jesus Christ. We, we must let Jesus Christ lead us. As we daily walk in the steps of the Savior, we, we can't go on our, off on our own path. <laughs> we can't blaze our own trail, as it were. But we must follow exactly in the path that our Lord and Savior has already walked. And so denying self, taking up our cross daily and following him. Those are the demands that Jesus mentions for us here in Luke chapter 9. Jesus, I believe, expands or expounds rather upon these demands by explaining to us that daily discipleship means losing our earthly lives, verse 24, so that we can, for his sake, so that we can gain eternal life. It means living his words in our lives every day. When you come to verse 26, he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of him before my father. The idea that is presented to us throughout the New Testament of confessing Christ. And confessing Christ, of course, is something that we do before we become a Christian, that we confess our belief in Him as the Christ of God, just as Peter did here in this text before men. 
But we must continue to confess Christ by the life that we live, not just by the words that we say to those around us, but by the life that we live each day. As we do this, we are preparing ourselves for His glorious return. And so each of us needs to be asking ourselves some questions this morning if we are disciples of Christ. Number one, am I daily dying to myself? We can very easily be self-deceived about all of these matters. But if we are honestly looking at our own lives, are we daily dying to ourselves just as Jesus died to himself? Am I daily bearing my cross for his cause? Not that we're literally or physically carrying a cross everywhere that we go, but are we sacrificing of ourselves for his cause? Are we putting ourselves and our interests and our goals and our desires to death so that we can fulfill his will in our life? Am I daily following my Lord and leader, Jesus Christ, or am I going off on my own way? Am I meeting these demands even when it is difficult? In times of my life when it is inconvenient sometimes, when it is uncomfortable for me, when it is painful, didn't, what, was it convenient for Jesus to go to the cross? <laughs> Think that was comfortable for him? There was pain involved in that, wasn't it? There was shame involved in being crucified on a cross. And so very simply put, as Jesus talks to us about daily discipleship here in Luke 9, daily discipleship demands that you and I fully follow Jesus. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? We all need to ask those questions of ourselves. Secondly, as we continue to think about the words of Christ himself over in the Gospel of John in chapter 15, we find here in this text that daily discipleship demands that I bear much more fruit for him. Let's read here in John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. John 15 and verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me and I have also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. No longer can I, uh, you are my friends rather if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, 
and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Jesus, again, this is in this, this setting that takes place. It's a very intimate conversation that Jesus is having just with the 11 apostles. This is just hours that he speaks these words that we've read here from John 15, just hours before his crucifixion. Back in Luke chapter 9, that was moving into the time. As you get down there, I think it's at verse 51 of Luke 9 that Luke tells us that Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem Now his mind was fully focused on going to the cross. But now we are right there. And it is just hours before Christ is to be crucified on the cross that he gives his disciples some final instructions. And he talked to them about who he wanted them to be and what he wanted them to do. And in the portion of the text that we have just read here from chapter 15 of John, Jesus is talking to them a lot about vines. He's talking to them about branches. He's talking to them about fruit. What what does all of that have to do with preparing them to do the work once he has ascended to his Father? Well, we know because of what he says here, he's not talking in physical terms. No, he is identifying himself as a true vine here. His father as being the vine dresser. His disciples as being those branches who are connected to him, the vine. And as branches connected to the vine, they are bearing fruit. I want you to notice just a few things specifically that Jesus said here in these verses about bearing fruit. Number one, he said to us that if we don't bear fruit at all, there comes a point in time where the father just takes us away that the Father completely cuts us off, that He throws us away, that we're burned up as He uses that language. Number two, if we bear some fruit, then the Father comes along and He prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. It is not the idea that He is pruning us or cutting off part of the branch just so that we die. I don't know, maybe some of you are gardeners or maybe you like to work in your yard. And if you do, uh, I like to do yard work, but if you do, uh, it doesn't matter how pretty it, maybe a rose bush is. It doesn't matter how, how beautiful a tree looks in, in your yard. There comes a time when for the health of that particular bush or tree, you have to trim it back, don't you? You have to prune that particular bush, not so that it dies, but rather the opposite, so that it continues to grow, so that it continues to flourish and thrive. And so Jesus is using that language here that if we bear some fruit, the Father at some point in time or several points in time in our life is going to come along and prune us so that we can bear more fruit. And number three, Jesus says about bearing fruit here in John 15, that if we bear much fruit, he uses that word or that adjective several times in this text, then we truly prove to be his disciples. We show by the evidence of the fruit that we bear that we're bearing much fruit for the Lord, that we truly are a follower of His. Well, what do all of those truths mean in terms of bearing fruit in Christ? What what kind of fruit does Jesus demand that I daily bear for Him if I'm going to be a disciple of His? Notice three things from this text, many others that we can consider elsewhere, but three things from John 15 Number one, it means that you and I are going to have to abide in Him. We're going to have to abide in His words. We're going to have to abide in His love. That is the idea, at least in my mind, that we're going to have to stay connected to Christ. Jesus says the branch alone, if it's, 
disconnected from the vine, it can do absolutely nothing. And the same is true for us. Maybe this kind of hits on on Brent's point in the nine o'clock hour again, but in and of ourselves, we don't have the power. We don't have the ability. We're weak. But with Christ, we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. It is our connection to Christ that allows us to be fruitful people, not to just bear some fruit, but to bear much more fruit for Him. Secondly, as we think about bearing fruit for Christ and the daily daily, uh, demands of that, number two, Jesus says to us that we must keep His commandments. Notice He says here several times in this discussion about keeping His commandments at verse 10, He says, if you keep my commandments. And then at verse 12, I believe he just summing up in this one great commandment to love one another just as Christ had loved them, the 11 apostles, just as Christ loves us, that that is the great and foremost command of all, isn't it? To love the Lord our God, but then to love one another. And thirdly, Jesus states to us in verse 11 that we must be joyful. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. These are the daily demands of discipleship that Jesus mentions in this text. We must abide in him and his words and his love. We, We can't go looking for that somewhere else. We must keep his commandments, not that we're going to perfectly, sinlessly do everything that Christ has commanded us to do. But again, it's summed up in this great commandment that we are to love one another as he loves us and to do all that with the attitude of joyfulness, not that we think this is a daily grind. His commandments are not burdensome. Do you remember that kind of language that John uses in his first epistle in chapter 5, the first few verses? But we do that with joy, even as Christ did his Father's will with joy. I realize here in John 15 that Christ is specifically addressing his apostles. These are the men that he himself personally chose. These are the men that he personally appointed to be ambassadors to the world to carry the good news about himself to all creation. But surely we understand that Christ has chosen and appointed all of us who are his disciples to do the same mission, to do the same work in the world. He wants us to live our lives in such a way that we go into the world, that we bear much fruit for Him. And so I'm suggesting to you, secondly, that daily discipleship demands that you and I not just bear a little fruit, but that we bear much more fruit than we already have. Are are, are we doing that as we examine our lives from day to day? And then thirdly and finally, we find from the book of Acts in chapter 11, that daily discipleship demands that, that I remain true to the Lord. Uh, Acts chapter 11, let's begin reading there at verse 19. Luke says to us, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number of those who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. 
Then when he had arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders." We know the backstory to this, don't we? Going all the way back to uh, chapter 7 of this book where Stephen had an opportunity to stand before the, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and to really give them a history lesson, a Jewish history lesson, but all for the point of they, they were making the same mistake. They were following in the footsteps of their ancestors and they had crucified the Christ and they were persecuting those men who were preaching the message of Christ now. And as that persecution arose in Jerusalem, we know that those persecuted disciples from Jerusalem made their way to different parts of the world. Here in this section that we just read from Acts 11, they have, some of them have made their way to the city of Antioch. And what are they doing here? As Acts 8 and verse 4 tells us that they were persecuted, they were scattered, and they went everywhere preaching the word. That's exactly what they're doing here. They come to the city of Antioch and they are preaching the Lord Jesus, Luke describes it here, they, first of all, are just preaching that good news about Christ to those who were Jews. But then, as it was God's intent from eternity, that even Gentiles would hear that message, believe it, obey it, and become followers of Christ. Of those who heard the gospel, Luke tells us that there was a large number who believed and obeyed the gospel. There was a large number who, in essence, turned to the Lord. And certainly that was a wonderful thing for them. Now they were connected to the Lord. Now, that, that now they were a branch that was connected to the vine, as we just spoke of in John chapter 15. Now they had access to true, real, eternal life. Now they could really live. Now they could devote their lives to bearing fruit for the Lord. They believed the message that uh, Barnabas and Saul were teaching here, and they became obedient to that message and they turned to the Lord, but that was not the end of their journey, was it? As a disciple of Christ, no, it was just the beginning. For once they had turned to the Lord, they had to keep on turning to Him every day of their life, every moment of their earthly existence. They had to remain true to the Lord. And notice, that's exactly what Barnabas had come to encourage them at verse 23. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart, to remain true to the Lord. This would be a lifelong thing for them. Well, what did remaining true to the Lord daily demand of them? What will it demand of us? There are three things I see here in this text. Number one, it demands of us that we're going to meet with God's people, that we're going to assemble with God's people on a regular basis. Notice what the text says to us. Uh, there at verse 26, that Paul or Saul and Barnabas uh, for an entire year met with the church. 
they got together with God's people. They wanted to be around others who were disciples of Christ. They, they wanted to be around one another so that they could encourage one another. If we haven't learned anything else, maybe out of this last two or two and a half years, I hope we have learned this lesson and now we appreciate the value of one another. Now we appreciate the fact that we need to be together on a regular basis and not just to meet together once a week on the first day of, of every week, but to meet together as we have opportunity throughout the week to be with the Lord's people. But because Saul and Barnabas were true disciples of Christ, they saw the need for themselves. Even as messengers of the gospel, they needed to be encouraged. They needed to be, re to be reminded to remain true to the Lord as they were helping their brethren to remember those things. Secondly, it will demand of us that we bring people to the Lord. Notice what is said here, Luke tells us in verse 24 and verse 26, that as a result of Saul and Barnabas preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, that considerable numbers came to the Lord as a result of them preaching the gospel. We may not have considerable numbers today. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know any preacher of the gospel, even if one person were to respond to the gospel every time he preached, we, we would say that's not enough. <laughs> Even if there were 3,000 people that responded and became Christians every time we got up and stood in front of the audience, that wouldn't be enough because every lost soul is important. But if we're going to be a true disciple of Christ, we need to be bringing, bringing people to the Lord. And thirdly, it will demand of us from verse 29 that we are supplying the needs of saints as our opportunity and ability allows because we are connected to Christ individually, we are connected to one another. And we are all his followers. We are all the family of God. And when needs arise, physical or otherwise, spiritual, emotionally, relationally, that we're trying to the best of our ability to supply those needs. It is no surprise to me that these true disciples here in the city of Antioch, Luke says, were first called Christians they first proved themselves to truly be those who were imitating and following Jesus Christ in every part of their life. I'm suggesting to you here from this passage in Acts 11 that daily discipleship demands that you and I remain true to the Lord. And we're not just true to the Lord one day a week or when we're around the Lord's people, but we remain true to the Lord for the rest of our lives. Are you and I doing that? As we examine ourselves, as we look into our own hearts, as much as we can know ourselves and what is in our heart this morning, we need to take this seriously because this is, I believe, the heart of Christianity. This is the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Daily discipleship. Let me just ask you very simply as we close our lesson this morning, are you doing that? Are you really doing that? Because it may be very easy for us to come in on a Sunday morning like we are this morning and dressed in a suit and tie and wearing a nice dress or whatever it is that we are clothed in this morning and to put on our best face and to look like we have it all together and to look like, yeah, we're, we're really gung-ho and we're truly committed to following Jesus. But Jesus knows whether we are a true disciple of his or not. And if we're not bearing 
much fruit or if we're not bearing any fruit, there's going to be a time when God will deal with that. We want to appear before God. We want to appear before the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again. Ready. Not perfect people, but people who have been fruitful in his kingdom. People who have shown by the lives that we have lived each day to be true disciples of his. Have you even started that journey this morning? If you haven't, you have a perfect opportunity. Come before this audience and say you want to be a disciple of Christ. If as a disciple of Christ you're not living like one, you have an opportunity to make that known if you need to publicly or just admit that to God. But then to have the the strength, the resolve to live as a true disciple lives. Whatever your need might be this morning as we're going to sing this song, a perfect song. In this lesson on, do you know my Jesus? If you don't know him, don't walk out of this building not knowing him. Come to know him this morning. If we can help you to do that in any way, won't you let it be known as we stand and as we sing.